Hello, and welcome to the Harassment-Free Workplace Podcast. I'm April Turow of Navigating Integrity Associates. This podcast is for CEOs and HR professionals of small and medium-sized businesses to learn practical suggestions that can be used right away to address harassment in the workplace. We are committed to creating workplaces that work for everyone. Welcome. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harassment-Free Workplace Podcast. My name is April Turow. I'm your host, and today I'm so excited that I have Elevating HR with me. Elevating HR are two amazing women that I've met in my networks, and I love what they stand for. So I'd like to introduce you to Sherry Angle and Michelle Bush, who are the co-founders of Elevating HR, a unique training program for HR professionals focused on changing traditional perceptions of human resources. Sherry Angle is the president of Loft Consulting, providing HR advisement consulting. She has an undeniable passion for helping leaders find their purpose to achieve success. Sherry's expertise in talent planning and corporate culture stem from many years in leadership roles, including the VP of Human Resources. She holds a BA in Sociology from Western University and a postgrad diploma in Human Resource Management and is admired by her clients for her honest and practical approach. Michelle Bush is a career transition specialist and business advisor. She spent 30 years in human resources in various industries, including mining and heavy equipment, before reinventing herself as a solopreneur. Michelle holds a degree in psychology from Wilfrid Laurier University, and she is a certified coach practitioner and facilitator. As an engaging speaker and mentor, Michelle inspires her clients to acknowledge their abilities and increase their confidence to reach their full potential. Welcome, Elevating HR. Thank you so much for having us. This is great. I'm so glad you're here and welcome Sherry. Thank you, April. Hi. It's really fun to have both of you. I haven't had two guests at the same time. So this is a lot of fun. So tell me more. What is Elevating HR? How did you come to be? What's your specialty? What do you provide to employers out in the world? Well, we really, it's an interesting story because we met at a networking event and we just clicked. And then we reconnected a few weeks later and we spent, I think it was three hours speaking to each other about our passion for HR, some of the challenges that we had, our experiences, and we realized we had a lot of shared experiences. And that's when we decided, you know, there's something here. We have something that we want to share with other HR professionals. And initially, we're launching this as a two-day masterclass where individuals who are in the HR profession can really learn how to be a more strategic contributor to their organization. Yeah, we found that when we were having our discussions, I think we were in a hotel lobby and we chatted for three hours. And uh, we just realized that there was a lot of information out there for HR professionals. There's a lot of workshops. There's a lot of um, information sessions and webinars. And... A lot of it is more about the concerns and the issues in workplaces as opposed to how to deal with them. So we said out of all of our collective, what, 50 some odd years of experience between us, we have a lot to be able to share on being able to give approaches, advice, guidance. How do you, you know, sort of raise your voice uh, as an HR professional and be heard? How do we elevate and move the, the, the perception of HR from, from transactional and administrative to actually being a strategic resource? And uh, it's, it's being able to give those practical applications and tools that people can, can take back to their workplace. 
Oh, it's, it's so important because I deal with HR professionals a lot as well. And so many of them are just like, I just do the payroll and I do the benefits. And, you know, I know there's so much more, but I really just feel stuck in this place. And nobody likes me because, you know, the employees think that I'm working for the employer. The employer is like, just deal with the employees. And I just find this, it's a, it's a great conversation to start about really like taking, because really your employees are your best assets. So mm-hmm. like they really need to be invested in. Yeah, and a Absolutely. lot of HR professionals don't f- feel like they have the tools. So they, they what what do I do when I go back to the workplace? I can talk about these things and I feel these frustrations or I know that there's a challenge in terms of, you know, the perception of me in HR, but how do I overcome that? What, what can I actually do to build my confidence and to have those practical applications of being able to to make a difference and, you know, learn the language of the business, be heard at meetings, be invited, be included. And um, so that's what we're all about is actually actually giving people that toolkit and all of those things that they can use to, to elevate and to, um, to increase their presence. Excellent. And we've both experienced both sides of the table, really, where we've been very valued as an HR contributor and where we haven't been. And so we really have those lessons learned of what works, what doesn't, so that we can kind of cut through it and give people those insider tips that we had to learn the hard way so that hopefully they don't have to have some of the same experiences that we did. So tell me more about your two-day HR masterclass. Well, it really speaks to the role of HR, HR's influence within an organization, and how to use data and create a strong business case for HR programs. So like we said, it's those practical tools that an HR professional needs to A, speak the language of the business, be perceived as that strategic business contributor, but also to make sure that you're positioning the function and all the programs within HR so that there's buy-in and value add. Beautiful. Well, talking about practical tools that you teach in your course, what are some practical tips that you can give our listeners now? So our listeners being employers and HR professionals um, that can help them decrease harassment in the workplace, because that's what our podcast is all about. So what are your takeaways for our listeners today? You bet. Well, the, the first takeaway that we have is that organizations really do need to make an intentional commitment to a workplace free of harassment. And I know that's easier said than done in many circumstances. And it's probably something that other people who have been guests on your show have said as well, because it's a, it's a pretty big point. So it really starts with leadership, but we want the, we, we think that it needs to be more than just a mission statement or a list of core principles or policies and employee handbook. It's really critical that having a harassment-free workplace is something that's lived by everyone and especially the senior leaders. So a couple of tips on what does that look like? Um, One, discuss it. What does commitment of leadership look like? What does a harassment-free workplace look like? Is this something that's discussed at a boardroom or is it bury our heads in the sand and hope it never happens to us? Michelle, do you have other points on this? Yeah, I would say that it's really important for the leaders to know what their responsibilities, their liabilities, the risks. Um, you know, we don't want to sound alarmist, but really at the end of the day, there's there's impacts and there's consequences. If we're not being proactive about this and the leadership don't really know uh, what, the, what the results of being accountable are to something like this, then there can be some concerns. And I think that's really, you know, we don't want to, as Sherry said, we don't want to just hope that it's not going to happen. Uh, I- we need to I, 
need to jump in here. I got to tell you, a lot of the investigations that I get pulled into are ones where the employers had no idea what their responsibilities were. I just yeah. finished an investigation and they had no harassment policies and they're at 15 employees already. And they didn't have any harassment policies. And I'm like, um, yeah, it's, yeah. You it's, hope it's not going to happen. They and, hope it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or they just, yeah. it's not on their radar. You got to like when, it, when businesses are making businesses, they're thinking of the business. They're not thinking of all this HR stuff that they don't know anything about. Right. So for them, they're like, I didn't know we had to have policies in place. And that's Ooh. interesting, April, because you think about, I didn't know I had to have a harassment policy in place, but did you know that you had to have health and safety policy in place? Yes. Did you know that you had to have your CRA rules or your Sarbanes-Oxley for finance? Yes. And so it's interesting that something like harassment isn't seen as Mm -hmm. a a primary business priority, like some of those other pieces that really for many, they go, oh, yeah, of course we had to have a compliance policy or of course we can't be, you know, fraudulent activity. We have to have internal control. So many businesses will do it with other topics, but they don't put this topic at that same level of priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. I jumped in, but go ahead. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. No worries. And I think that's, that's an important piece is that, um, you know, we don't want to scare leaders into having to know what it is that can be the outcome or the consequences, but at the end of the day, they're ultimately accountable. And so they need to be aware. We have to, we in HR have to be able to do them a service by making sure that they know what it is um, that could potentially uh, be the accountability on them. Mm-hmm from Mm -hmm. a corporation, from a business, and also personal liability as well, which is an important piece to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Okay. So definitely have an intentional commitment and walk your talk and like really know what it is, live and breathe it and show by example. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then I think a second thing is, so, you know, have the intentional commitment, but then make sure that we're defining behaviors. And that's a, a challenge in many organizations as we say things or we'll have words, we'll have a dress code or we'll have uh, a core principle that says that we have to be respectful or have integrity or be accountable. But then we don't know what that looks like. So define those behaviors. <laughs> Very simple. A dress code is flip-flops okay or is it closed-toed shoes? I mean, we can paint a picture with the dress code. We have to be able to paint a picture with behaviors as well. So. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, accountable. What does that look like? Let's actually have in the policy, in the discussion, the behaviors that paint that picture. So uh, accountability looks like taking ownership for our actions and admitting when we've made a mistake and not placing blame on someone else. Actually describe it so people can see it and feel it and then they know what's okay and not okay. Mm-hmm. This is so beautiful as well. Again, back to the last case I was involved with. When I'm explaining that why I found for sexual harassment, the employer was like, well, I don't see that as sexual harassment. And I'm like, um, yeah. asking somebody out multiple times when they say, please don't ask me out. And they continue to ask me out multiple times. That's a classic definition of her. Well, they were friends. Yeah. Mm, he was her manager. Like, like it was, it, it was amazing how I had to describe to this employer, like he's the mm-hmm. CEO of the company. This is what harassment is. This is what it looks like. This is the classical definition of it. Yes, this happened. No, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I'm, I'm just amazed at how many people don't know that. So yeah. Sorry. You know, when we were, when we were preparing for this, we, we ha- were having a lot of discussions ourselves. Yeah, we were. It's really interesting that we both have a handful of examples with similar scenarios where 
people are raised differently. People have different social norms. People have different expectations. And so if you don't actually define what it is and what's acceptable some places is not acceptable other places where it's acceptable to one person is not acceptable to another. So really there are, I've seen these posters, flip-flops, no, closed-toed shoes, yes. Summer wear, winter wear. But we don't go to that extent with something so important and critical as harassment. And so, you know, in a way, shame on us that we haven't done our job to really make employees and managers and senior leadership aware of what is right and what is wrong. Mm -hmm. you, you kind of assume it's a little bit taboo, right? You don't want to be that person all the time that steps in and is the alarmist and, you know, is that sort of naysayer. But at the end of the day, it's really your responsibility, or it's, I think it's HR's responsibility, leadership's responsibility, whomever's responsibility to define what's acceptable and what's not. Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately, the buck stops with the employer, right? Like, that's, mm -hmm. that's who's legally responsible for providing the harassment-free workplace. Yeah. I was going to say, when you said um, clarification, April, I think it's important. What is that difference between harassment, discrimination, and performance management. Mm. So the employee who puts in a formal complaint and says, you know, my manager's been harassing me. And we do the investigation and we find out that the manager actually has been holding the person accountable for their performance targets. And they don't like being micromanaged. Mm. That's not really harassment, but it's obviously something that's bothered the individual. So we still want to make sure that we you know, address the, the concern and that have the dialogue. And then when we talked earlier about how do you define the behaviors, then describe for ourselves, those who are in the investigation or the managers who are involved in it, um, what does it look like if it was more than just micromanaging? So maybe if it's, if you don't do your job, then I'm actually never going to put you up for a promotion because I'm in a position that can actually hold you back. That's the difference between holding someone accountable and then actually you know, harassing where they're actually affecting their future in the company. Mm -hmm. But until we have those storytelling or those examples in training or in dialogue, people can't really picture it and see it. So really important, I think, to just extend the conversation always to, to make sure that we can see what those behaviors look like. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Okay, so have an intentional commitment, define the behaviors, like what's okay, what's not okay. That is so important. And it makes life so much easier. The other conversation that I find when I'm talking with people around this is I feel like I can't say anything anymore. And I'm like, yeah. but once you really get this and really get it in your bones about what's okay and what's not okay, what it opens up is the space where people feel safe. Mm -hmm. And then they can really like fly in their work. Like they can really express themselves and they can really like, cause they all feel safe and they all feel taken care of and supported and they're not going to be harassed. So they're not looking over their shoulders. So I really find that they can really live, elevate themselves to their best potential mm -hmm. as well. So Because you can have the dialogue dialogue around the topic for the purposes of learning, understanding, awareness, education, and not having the dialogue around the topic because it's a complaint or it's taboo. So the more we talk about it as a learning opportunity and an opportunity to respect each other in the workplace, then when the issue is brought up, it's brought up for a different reason than the traditional, oh my gosh, we're bringing this up, right? So the more we yeah. talk about it, the less it has that stigma. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, great. And what's your third point? Our third point is to hold people accountable. And this is where as HR professionals, we really have to be courageous. We want to be brave enough to address 
and or take action if there's non-compliance. And, you know, in our, in our work in Elevating HR, one of our sort of main goals is to make sure that HR has a voice at the table. And I think the more that you have that voice at the table, the more that you have that genuine relationship with senior leadership, the more brave you become when you have to have these difficult conversations, even with the leadership team. So this has been something that I have to admit has been difficult for me at times in my career. You know, and looking back, this is where I think sometimes it's easier to have somebody who's an external expert come in and take responsibility for this than have it on your shoulders, right? Yeah, I think once it gets to that point where it's uh, an investigation, where there's a need to have someone who's the subject matter expert, because this is very complex and there's lots of pieces around this. I mean, we know not that long ago, the um, the workplace violence became part of the Health and Safety Act, which people don't know. They think it's still, oh, that's an HR topic. It's actually in the Occupational Health and Safety Act. <laughs> so it actually has a really important piece in the business. And it's it's difficult for us in HR sometimes because, as Sherry said, holding people accountable is is tricky because, you know, what if it's your, what if it's your top producing sales manager? Mm-hmm. What if it's that person who's the most technically knowledgeable employee in your business? And this bias comes in, which is, well, you know, if we let that person go or if we deal with that issue, then look what's happening from my financial perspective. And and Sherry mentioned, you know, being able to have the relationship and the dialogue with the leadership. So at the table, we can have those discussions. This is not HR fluff and stuff, with all due respect. This is what will happen if we don't deal with this issue. And here's where I think I can see that we're clouded by the the financial results by not actually taking action on what we need to do. So really important. I think that we recognize that um, if there's one person who has an issue and the leader doesn't deal with it, then there's nine other people potentially who are watching and saying, how come this is not being taken care of? This is what I find all the time. It's like that best producer, the most technologically aware, the most valuable to the company is actually the bully. And then like they're the one doing the harassing behavior and A, people don't want to see it or they want to push it under the rug because they don't want to lose that employee or they don't want to like rock the boat. And then it's just a mess by the time I get called Mm -hmm. in because the people have left. There could be litigation on the table. There's all of these things. And it's like, to me, it's also another reason of bringing an external for an investigation, bring in an external investigator because your HR person is so uncomfortable in that situation because like really there's so much bias happening on so many levels. They're going to be the bad guy no matter what. So let a third party come in and be the bad guy as opposed to HR being the bad guy. So yeah, yeah, this is. It's difficult for HR because we play both, I say play both sides. I don't mean that in the, that's not the right terminology, but we're representing both sides. Let's use it that way, right? We have to be looking out for the employee's best interest from an employee advocate perspective, really. But at the end of the day, we also have to make sure that we're representing the employer. So HR is in a, in a tough spot. Um, so, you know, bringing someone in at, at that time when it needs to be investigated and dealt with, absolutely to bring in a third party who can help and be that, uh, you know, a bit more of a outsider uh, approach. So any other tips on how to hold people accountable? I think for me, it's actually making sure that we, we make decisions in recruiting. So, you know, if we know that there's an individual who perhaps we've had some concerns with around their behaviors before, why are they the first person on the promotion list? 
If they're not already living these behaviors as a leader or a manager, why are we putting them into that role? So be really clear on your recruitment decisions and the hiring decisions that you're doing. Um, and I think also it's really important that we don't uh, allow excuses to be used. So, oh, she's always been that way, or no, he's like that with everyone. So when we hear that terminology, that's how we hold people accountable. We actually address that statement. We will actually have the courage and be bold enough to say, hmm, that's probably not something that we can deal with and continue the conversation. And I found that by defining the behaviors, it makes it easier for everybody at every level to notice when something is not correct. So now as a manager, I may have been uncomfortable addressing this because mm, is this just me being me, you know, making a bigger deal out of this than it should be? Well, no, here it is in black and white. This is unacceptable behavior. I can now address it. You know, an employee, same thing. So actually defining the behaviors, I think, makes it crystal clear that and simple to be to hold people accountable to those expectations. It, it's such a great conversation to have because I know so many people feel like, Ooh, I don't know how to have that direct, straightforward conversation of this is okay, this is not okay. And it really mm -hmm. is just that simple. And people are just worried about all of the reactions that'll come out of that and the boat rocking that'll come out of that. No, no, no. Okay, not okay. Okay, not okay. And as you said before, it really comes from the top. Like if the leaders are saying, this is what's accepted in this organization and this is what's not. And they really set that from the top, then it really can kind of trickle down. And, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. And there always has to be that alignment though, right? We can say something and we can have something on paper and then yeah. we could even go as far as putting those behaviors in front of everyone so they could see what that looks like. But then if we don't live it, if we don't actually mm -hmm. physically live it and demonstrate those things every day, then really the house of cards will fall down because all the other stuff really is just words, mm -hmm. not actions. Mm -hmm. Sherry, did you have something to say to that? I was, I, I was just going to say that, you know, in addition to sort of holding people accountable and painting that picture and making those excuses for those high performers, we also have a responsibility to paint the picture of what if we don't address this? So if we address it, yes, we might be letting this high performer go. If we address it, yes, we might be, you know, ruffling some feathers with this high performer. If we don't address it, here's what it will look like. And I think sometimes that's where being brave comes into account as well. We have to step up and challenge that, challenge that perception that it's only one-sided. No, there's multiple sides to this mm -hmm. outcome. The the. The bottom line is always affected by a toxic workplace. Always, always, always. You cannot get your best performances with people working in the toxic environment. Their stress response is too high. Their focus is then low. They are not giving you their best performance. You're going to lose people. You're going to have high turnover. Like the consequences of a toxic workplace just go on and on and on. So it is in your best interest as an employer to address this from the top, live it, breathe it, make it part of your culture for sure. And so that's why it's really important through Elevating HR that we help HR professionals see how they can actually have that voice and have these, I would say, sort of intelligent, ongoing conversations with the business. If we don't know the sales cycle or how the warehouse function or logistics connects with our customers, then when we're bringing up issues around performance or harassment, we sound like we're you know, either bringing up a concern or we're the police or we are um, HR fluff and stuff. And really what we need to do is make sure that we understand 
what the business cycles are, what the financial implications are, and then that leads right into if we have non-performance of a, of a high performer or, you know, how is that going to affect our customers? How is it going to affect our brand? How is it going to affect mm-hmm. how we're seen by our vendors and by third parties? I mean, there's just, there's, there's never-ending impacts that are outside of the day-to-day business if we don't handle and deal with these types of concerns well. Such an important conversation. Thank you so much, Michelle and Sherry, for being here today. Thank you for your conversation in the world of elevating HR to where they need to be, because I I hear this conversation all the time, and I'm always like, but you're HR. Like, you're the most important part of the company. I, I think it comes from my dad was always a, an entrepreneur, and he always treated his employees like gold. And that was oh. what he taught me as an entrepreneur is your company only exists because of your employees. You treat them like the most amazing asset they are. And therefore, HR is like, that's their job is mm-hmm. to make yeah. sure that every employee feels ex- you know, accepted, valued, appreciated, et cetera. And so when I hear HR people talking, I'm like, wait, your job's so important. It's not just payroll and it's not just that. So I'm so excited with the conversation you guys are having in the world. Thank you for doing for what you're doing. Thank you for also taking accountability for this and saying, no, we're the ones to step up HR and to, to elevate that conversation. And also thank you for being a stand for creating workplaces that work for everybody, which is my game in the world too. So absolutely. And thank you for doing that. Yeah. (laughs) It's important for us in an HR community to make sure that we have resources and support to help us as sherry mentioned earlier this is complex it's it's difficult sometimes hr feels like they have to have all the answers and if we're in over our head it is okay to say this particular situation has gone beyond my area of expertise i am going to reach out into the community into my list of resources like april and say i need you to come into the workplace and help me with this Mm -hmm. and it's all about it's kitschy as it might sound it's about teamwork it's about doing things with resources and people who can help you so that we can come at this uh you know and not feel as though we're we're individuals that are trying to deal with this all by ourselves absolutely excellent thank you so much for being here today um where can people get a hold of you if they want to register for your courses or find out more about elevating hr so you can find us at www.elevatinghr.ca. We also have a strong presence on LinkedIn. So look up the company Elevating HR on LinkedIn and click like, and you'll get lots of good tips and tricks. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, we've Excellent. just actually added another piece to our website as well with some um, interesting videos where Sherry and I are talking about different topics like HR stereotypes and HR burnout and so a few other things that you can see on the website now that provide some additional tips and tricks for HR professionals. Excellent. Well, that is an excellent resource for our HR folks that are listening and also employers who might not have HR but need to play that HR role. So um, thank you again. Thank you for being here. And for our listeners, please hit subscribe and share this podcast with everybody you know in the HR and the employer world. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, April. Thank you you for joining us for the Harassment Free Workplace Podcast. Subscribe now wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. And please spread the word. Feel free to send us feedback, questions, and suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear from. We'd love to hear from you. For more information on workplace investigations and assessments, please visit www.harassmentfreeworkplace.com. Till next time.